Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We are starting a brand new series on our small groups podcast series called Thus Seth the Lord. And it is pronounced Seth. We just had a very long and pointless conversation about this. Um, We're going to be discussing uh, God's word, which is not pointless. And we're going to be studying particularly how it is that the Bible came to be uh, by studying what the Bible has to say about the Bible. I am joined, as always, by the creative and quirky Matt Barfield. It's pointful. Like the opposite of pointless, pointful. Pointful. Yeah. All right. That's, that's creative and quirky. There that's perfect. Point. And his friend, Pastor Brandon. Hey, I'm your friend too, Ben. <laughs> our friend, our friend, pre- yes. friend, Pastor yes. Brandon. There we go. Glad to have both of you guys here today. We are talking uh, through a seven-part series, is the plan right now, uh, on the theme of bibliology, essentially, which is the study of the Bible. And so we're starting it off kind of all the way back in the very beginning, and we're talking about Revelation. So Revelation comes from the English word, Reveal. To reveal. And it is what God has revealed, specifically the truth that he has revealed. Um, Theologians will talk about general revelation, things that God has revealed to all peoples and all times, a general audience, if you will. And special revelation, uh, revelation, truth that's given to a specific audience at a specific time. Now, the question, one question that I want to start off with, uh, why do people still search for truth if God has revealed it? Why is there all of these questions and debates? And if God has revealed truth, why is it that people reject that truth? It seems like it's, you know, if you ask the question, why does man search for truth? It seems like it's a generational situation where every person is made to interact with his creator in this way, that he's pursuing him, he's looking for him, he's trying to understand him. The fact that somebody else found him doesn't mean the story's over. So mm-hmm. each of us has to wrestle with these things, and so the story keeps going on and on. I think really the reason it's not settled is because we fail to capitalize on our generational advances. Well, how is that for a sentence? But it's, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so one generation figured this thing out, and then I lost it. Right, and isn't that what happened in the Old Testament, where a generation had it and then lost it, and generation gets it and then the next one loses it, or the two down the road lose it? So I think that's why this thing isn't settled after all these years, because everybody's got to figure it out, and we don't gain the benefit that we could gain from our generations ahead of us. That's interesting because when you think about the scientific realm, and you know that we we tend to be better at preserving that kind of truth and knowledge from generation to generation. So. If it's, you know, you look at technology, technology builds and builds and builds because we remember what the previous generation did. But for whatever reason, when it comes to spiritual truth and knowledge and wisdom, uh, there seems to be more of a disconnect. It's harder to pass that from generation to generation. Yeah, and I think uh, the main main reason for that is uh, science is observable. And so when you can continue to observe that, when you look under a microscope, it's easier to pass on. And there's some extent that even some things that Matt said that, like, truth exists— I think a lot of times more than finding it, it's being convinced of it and agreeing with it. Um, people are still searching for it. And I mean, I, I work with teenagers who are still trying to sort through, do I really believe this is truth? Um, they, they have it. They've been told about it. Um, their parents have been convinced of it, but they're still working through anchoring their faith to that, that truth of, of scripture. We've covered a lot of ground already. <laughs> and I'm trying to like sort all that we just yeah. said because I'm like, oh man, do I agree with everything we just said? Do I agree with what I just said? And I think, you know, first of all, when it goes to technology and the difference between technology and spiritual truth or scientific advance and spiritual advances, um, man, there's been times where we've lost a lot of technology. And I think hmm. particularly when you look in the Bible, you see the Tower of Babel. Hmm. What does God say? If they do this, nothing's going to be withheld from them that they're trying to do, which is wrong. They're going to they're have this technological hold 
that now sticks it. I love what one one teacher said about the day of Pentecost. It's anti-Babble. Mm-hmm. I think that's so phenomenal mm-hmm. that now what happened at Babel to protect mankind is reversed because we have the knowledge. I don't think it's any mistake that we have the technological advances occurring and adding up and getting to multiply once Christianity is is thoroughly established in the world, right? Once once that gospel's been revealed, when do we see these these technological advances really adding up? You know, prior to the invention of the airplane, people moved and the invention of the engine. People moved at the same rate, the rate of a horse. That was as fast as they went hmm. for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. There wasn't an advance. Now those things add up, and we're moving at the speed of sound. And uh, you know, and beyond that, so I think pretty it's soon we'll be flying horsepower. Pretty soon we'll be going through space, <laughs> right? Exactly, horsepower to space, and that happened. I, I watched this documentary on the, living in the age of airplanes, which is fascinating, and they show like mankind's speed up until 1900, and then all of a sudden, like there's this cliff in which we can travel at incredible rates around the world. The Bible mentions it: many shall run to and fro, and knowledge increases. That's an inflection point. When does it happen? It happens when truth is established. God permit, prohibits it from happening at the Tower of Babel. So technology doesn't add up uniformly. Thankfully, it adds up underneath the auspices of truth, and that's what we see happening. Why does it come from the West? Why is it coming this way? Countries dominated by truth. I, I don't think that's an accident. I think, yeah. I think there's a spiritual component to technological advance. They work together. Mm. Uh, Anyway, we're going really, really far. This is, yeah, yeah, very, you are very right. quickly. Like, None of this is in the next? lesson, <laughs> if you're wondering. I don't think any of the tables talked about and this. now but... Ben will give an artful example of what it means to pull a class back to the yeah. topic. And That's <laughs> really good. I appreciate what you said there, Matt, about truth. That brings me to our next point. <laughs> let's go back to the paper here. All right, let's keep going on with the lesson. we got a lot to cover today, folks. These um, things happen. Uh, <laughs> to, no, kind of, to kind of bring it back, I think an, an, another thing of this is just authority. We, we don't like authority. Sure. So God God has revealed truth, so why do we still search for it? Because human nature doesn't like to be told what to do. Told what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting idea, too, back to the Garden of Eden. You know, God said, don't do this. And what's the appeal? Part of the appeal is... You'll be like God. It's a, it's a, it's a free to be desired to make one wise. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're going to get another way to think. You're going to get a new wrinkle in your brain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of appeal to that. Um, I, man, it's, it's so important that we live vital Christian life, pass that along, show that evidence, that's the next generation and then help them evidence the third generation. Mm-hmm. That's the task that was set before Israel and they failed of it in the promised land. That's what is set before us. Every time we, you know, we, we, we look at our kids and we look at those beyond our kids, the next generation, whether they're our, our biological offspring or not, we're supposed to be having that impact into the second and third generation. Yeah. So as we look at Revelation, we have two big categories, general revelation and special revelation. So we're going to talk through those. We'll probably spend a little bit more time with general revelation simply because uh, the rest of the series is going to focus on special revelation and how it is that God communicates his truth to certain people at certain times. Um, let's talk about general revelation. God reveals himself through through several different means. And uh, if you look at, you know, uh, systematic theology textbooks, you're going to get slightly different answers, but most of them will include something along these lines. First of all, God reveals himself through creation. Uh, Psalm 19 is a powerful passage along these lines. Um, Let me just pull that up real quick. It starts off with general revelation. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, probably they're talking about a measuring line or a boundary, their line has gone gone, uh, through all the earth. The whole world has been covered with this. And their words to the end of the world. 
In them hath he set a tabernacle for the son, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and a circuit under the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So as we look at, at this passage, as well as other passages that uh, discuss the, uh, the importance of general revelation, what types of things can people learn about God from nature, and what types of things can people not learn about God from nature? I hate to skip ahead. I just can't help but think of Romans 1, you know, where it says his eternal power and Godhead are understood by the things that are made. And uh, help me with the Greek there, but I think the being understood verb has something to do with putting together. So you're you're looking around and you're you're not just seeing and taking in data, you are doing something with it. It's a it's being put together, it's being deduced from the from the input. And so does that sound sort of right? Yeah, I, the word there is, is understanding. It's referring to the mind. So it's things that you're, yeah, under, it, more than just casual observation, things that you're processing. Okay, cool. So it, so I wasn't wrong, I hope, when I said to the class, <laughs> this is going to differentiate the process this is describing from an animal, um, you know, more more uh, yes. instinctual kind yep. of response where something happened, you know, the plant grew towards the sunlight. That's not what this is. This is actually me being human. Right, I'm understanding something, and and I think the fact that we obviously there's a lot to learn from creation, uh, you know, the stars we just read in Psalm 19 is awesome, um, but but also the fact that I think about it, right, the fact that I'm understanding it, that I'm making sense of it, that I'm deducing something, that's evidence of a creator God. That's, I'm part of creation too. Yeah, I kind of went there. That's right. Well, that is one of the things that we'll see later on is that humanity itself and the fact that we're made in the image of God, that we, that we reflect God in some ways as part of, of God's general revelation to all people at all times. You, and again, with all of these, the idea is that for the most part, you can be anywhere on the planet. You have access to it. Sure. You don't have to be in a Judeo Christian nation to know mm-hmm. this. Like you, you can be in the jungles of Indonesia and you can look at creation and you can learn certain things about God. So his eternal power has God had Brandon, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I just think you look at Psalm 19 and you just see that God is, the power of God, you see the existence of God, you look at creation and think, you see the order, and you do come to a logical conclusion that there has to be someone that's ordered this. And I mean, people try to suppress that truth, that order came from chaos. Uh, I don't think that makes too much logical sense when you really try to press that. Um, I, I do think you think you look at Romans 2 and Romans 1, you see some aspect of morality and conscience that is going to come from nature. Uh, there's a general sense of right and wrong for the most part, and that's a little bit more of a gray area. Um, but I, I just think ultimately the biggest thing that comes to my mind is God's power. Um, God created all of this, and even His sustain, he sustains this too, um, that all of this would fall apart without God's power. In our class in discussion on Sundays, somebody pointed out, maybe a couple of people pointed out, uh, that this shows about uh, the idea of beauty. God created things that we can appreciate beauty yeah. Um, and shout out to the Filipino class for that good, mm-hmm. good point. And, uh, you know, it was a very good, um, you know, to think about the fact that we look at these things and go, wow, this is, God says it's very good. It has a very good creative order to it. We can look at it and appreciate the same thing. Um, Anthony Flew was one of the most famous atheists of a previous generation, and he actually uh, came to the conclusion that there was a God. And he did so on the basis of DNA, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Just the the incredible level of complexity. And yeah. DNA is more than just a bunch of, you know, uh, ribonucleic acids that have been stuck together. It is an incredibly advanced computer code, basically, that codes for everything that makes you you. And just the idea that 
you know, that that came from a chaotic explosion uh, certainly speaks to the order and the intricacy and the design of God. You mentioned the order, and that was one that came up in my table as well that I wasn't necessarily thinking about or planning on, but it's true. You look at the world, you're like, this is an orderly God. I mean, everything happens with such regularity, with mm -hmm. such rhythm. Uh, somebody it's predictable. else. It's yeah. Mathematics speak to it. I mean, just the order of. <laughs> There's a really interesting book called The Edge of Evolution by Michael Behe, which I just, I'm totally enamored of, and I, I do encourage people to read it. He's not a creationist strictly, but he talks about something called um, irreducible complexity. Yep. Mm. Such a helpful idea. And it's, it's fascinating. Uh, Edge of Evolution does a great job of explaining that there's limitations to how often genes can mutate, how quickly creating new structures or altering mm -hmm. existing structures. He uses the example of an eye, doesn't he? Maybe He maybe does in Darwin's Black Box. Yeah, because he talks about, about the idea of, yeah, of irreducible complexity that like for an eye to have, there's not, there's not like these small little steps that lead from a less, like you've got you've to have all of these things function at the same right. time simultaneously, and you can't just slowly ease into an eye. And in the edge of evolution, he's talking on the cellular level, particularly dealing with the um, with malaria. And it's, it's even, when you get down to that nitty-gritty, and he does the math, and I don't understand the math. I have to skip the <laughs> math parts. Uh, but it's, it's pretty awesome to, to see um, that this is, a designer did this. Yeah. You, you have to walk away with that. Yeah. So we've seen that God reveals himself, uh, reveals truth through creation. We've also uh, can see that God reveals truth through, through sovereignty. Uh, a couple of passages that talk about this. First of all, God's sovereignty is seen in his goodness. Uh, Matthew 5.45, God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And Paul picks up on this in Acts chapter 14. And he uh, has this interesting statement here where he says, um, and saying, sirs, why do you do these things? Uh, we also are men of like passion with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So in what ways is God's goodness a testimony to the truth of his existence. And how is that goodness seen by everyone? When I was a kid, I, the Matthew five forty five verse was not one that I liked because I didn't like the rain because it meant I couldn't yeah, go outside right. and play. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't and I was like, yeah, he makes it rain on the good people and the bad. Like he gives us this <laughs> bad thing of rain, you know? Uh, and then I lived in the Middle East in a desert country. And I realized, no, no, rain's a really good thing. <laughs> you really need rain. This place could use a lot more of it. And uh, when you see you know, on that edge of the Mediterranean Sea, how, how the growing cycles and everything's affected by the rain patterns. It really makes you understand what was happening with Elijah and the three and a half years of drought. You know, the, the rain only comes in certain times. I don't know if you had this, Pastor Brandon, when you were over in Lebanon, but I remember I was there and I think it was August and I looked out and I saw like it was overcast and I looked at Brother Raymond. And I said, I said, is it going to rain today? And he goes, no, 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 it won't rain today. And I was like, oh, did you watch the weather? He goes, no, it's August. I'm like, so? He's like, it doesn't rain in August. And I was like, okay. Like, I couldn't understand that kind of yeah. regularity. And then I got to Jordan. It only rains in you know, November, December, January, February. That's, those are the rainy months. If it's going to rain, it rains in, those, mm. in that time. That's mm. it. And we only get a few inches a year. Because it's, wow. as I said, it's a very desert land. So, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating to you know, understand the cycle. But, but when they're looking at it this way, you know, we need that rain. God's good. God's providing rain. Sorry. A lot of rain stories there. 
Well, I didn't want to rain on your parade, so uh, I figured I'd just let you finish too. up. Uh, so I the rainforest. Yeah, you forget I was only in Lebanon for like a week and a half. Well, so I didn't live through a whole season. No, I wasn't rain that season. That wasn't yeah. That um, but in what ways does God show his kindness? I think you, you see it even in, in nations when a nation tends to at least tends to live out biblical principles, blessings come to that nation and there's plenty and uh, life tends to work out better when you live it according to God's design. So uh, just that, that common grace that it, that is seen. Um, I, I mean, you can see it in multiple countries around the world. If you've traveled, it's just different in different areas. And uh, when there's biblical principles followed, God causes it to rain in, on the just and the unjust. And um I think just in the blessings of life in general. I mean, God is a God of life, um, and we get that those blessings that come from him. We'll uh, keep moving here. We see also that uh, God reveals himself finally through humanity. Uh, the image of God in man, when God created uh, man, he was creating an image or a likeness of himself. And that that's kind of a, a bold statement to make. If you really stop and think about what we're claiming when we say that, it it. It's almost, it almost feels blasphemous to say that man reveals what God is like, but that's the message of Scripture. Man is an image. He's a representation of God. Um, so in what ways, then, can we say that people reflect God? In what ways can we say that people reflect God? Can we maybe clarify that a little bit? Like, in what direction are you going with that? And kind of lean mm. with that question. Because there's... My mind's going multiple ways. Yeah, he's like, like the limb is yours. Go yeah. out on it. So there's actually there's debate among theologians about what exactly the image of God means. If it's mm-hmm. a certain particular aspect or this, um, I kind of am of more of the the broad big picture view, which says Scripture itself doesn't limit it or define it. Um, I think that where we see similarities between God and man, that in that way man is reflecting or imaging um, God. Uh, I do think it's tied in probably somewhat with the the creation mandate there that we're supposed to have dominion over the earth. Um, But the image of God is what enables us to be able to do that. So in what ways is man a likeness or a representation of God? Well, I think that, you know, when you brought the dominion mandate idea, it Mm -hmm. distinguishes us from the animals that are Mm -hmm. not given dominion. Uh, We are given dominion over them. And so, um, yeah, that, that creative order situation, I, I always go back to fellowship. We're designed you know, God has fellowship within Himself in the Trinity. We're designed to have fellowship with Him and with each other. With and um, you know, we're going to be brought into that fellowship in the most profound ways. I love Revelation that says, uh, "To Him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with Me in My throne." Mm-hmm. Wow, I get to fellowship with God in His throne. How can that be? Like, if I get to heaven, I get to be in the corner somewhere. You know, just like <laughs> at Barfield's corner over there. Uh, but no, He He's glorified. He's made me. He's made us to be in that place of victory with him, that place of fellowship with him. That's what he, that's what he anticipates for us. And we ought to anticipate it too. We ought to be excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I remember writing my paper for my ordination council and thinking through all these and you try to come up with like all the different <laughs> sub points sure. of how we reflect mm-hmm. God and you can get pretty detailed. Exhausting. But yeah. It exhausting is like, oh, oh wow. Exhausting. Like how, how far down here am I going to go? Um, but I, I do think in a, a general sense, how do we, how do we reflect God? And I do go back to that relational aspect and eternal aspect are kind of the two things that jump out to me as well. I'm created as an eternal being that is going to live somewhere forever. And God wants to have eternal relationship and fellowship with me. And that's that's awesome. Um, and you do see that promise all throughout the Bible that God is dwelling with man in different ways. And the Bible ends with 
he, he will dwell with man forever. And there's that relational aspect. I think a lot of it has to do with volitional and the volitional aspect of love too. Yeah. You know, as we sit here thinking about what you're saying and thinking on this whole idea, we're not only distinctive uh, from the animals below us. We're also distinctive from the angels above right. us. Yeah. We're made lower than angels, but crowned mm-hmm. with glory and honor. Um, to which of the angels did he say, sit here till I made the right. end of the mm-hmm. I mean, that He said that to the sun. What is the man that thou were mindful of him? Well, but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, but you made him lower than the angel, but you crowned him. Mm-hmm. So, so, there's something there. So in other words, I guess what I'm trying to say now is wrinkles forming in my brain. We have a distinction on the bottom side between us and animals, and yep. we have a distinction on the upper side between us and angels. So we are the image barriers. Neither mm-hmm. of those groups are. We are. And um, so that's a that's a place, place of privilege that we get to be having this kind of fellowship. I think that fellowship issue is a, is a pretty big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly a lot there to explore and to unpack. Um, that phrase, image and likeness, the next time it's used again is actually, I believe, in Genesis 5, where Adam uh, gives birth, or uh, fathers a son. Let me see if I can look this up real quick. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's kind of looking at me. No, Adam did not give birth. Let's Whoa, edit that one out. What's going on there? That is not what happened. But, uh, it, and it says of his son that he was made after the image and the likeness. Let me see here. Uh, Genesis, there we go, uh, 5, 3. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And one of the neat things about being a parent and a dad is that you have a son and that he looks like you. He begins to act like you. He begins to reflect you sometimes in ways that Poor you... Poor kid. <laughs> some, <laughs> sometimes in ways you aren't expecting. I'm watching a basketball game with my son and all of a sudden I just hear him start saying, ow, come on, ow, come on. And I'm like, where did he learn? Oh, I know where he learned that. Yep. Just um, listen to your kids in the back seat while you're driving. Yeah, yeah. And they repeat the same things you say yeah. while you're driving. It's very Come on, buddy. <laughs> right. So in... in that's why I kind of I I kind of like the broad general idea that as you know there are many ways in which we look like God and so uh, with all of these though with humanity with creation with God's sovereignty um, there's some problems especially with creation and humanity and uh, when it comes to God's general revelation and the problem is is threefold number one uh, God's revelation is ignored uh, and that's kind of Paul's point in Romans one uh, Paul simply says. God gives us truth and people reject it. Like that's, that's kind of his, that's where he's going with this. They They aren't thankful. They exchange it. Um, They give it over. And it's, you know, you talked about us being given dominion over the animals. It's interesting. What do they do? They worship four footed beasts and creeping things. It's it's the list from Genesis Uh, one. These are the things that we were supposed to be put over. Now these are the things we're exchanging the glory that God has given us. And we're, we're, you know, we're instead Mm. giving that glory to these animals and letting them be our our rulers and Mm. our masters. Mm And it's just a total inversion of, of what God would have wanted, uh, what God does want. Secondly, we see that general revelation is injured. Um, the, often the term that's used for this is that it's marred, uh, the way theologians will describe it. So the image of God and man is marred. Uh, you can look at the Mona Lisa and you can still see the artistic genius of a Da Vinci, even if it got covered in graffiti, but it would certainly be harder to see. And so the beauty and the splendor of what God created still testifies to the creator, but now it's, it's different, it's distorted. And then finally, um, generation or general revelation is incomplete. And there are certain things that we just can't know, notably about uh, God's solution to our sin and our rebellion. So let's talk about special revelation. There's several different ways that God uh, shows himself to specific people at specific times. And um, 
we'll go ahead and get started here. First of all, God spoke directly. And I have a question here to follow up. Why is it that you think that God does not speak directly uh, more often? I mean, it, it seems that, you know, at the beginning you have Adam and, you know, you have um, you have Moses and Abraham and Noah and a lot of these, you know, um, characters, they, they have God speak to them more. And then uh, we don't see God speaking directly to people. He'll send angels or he'll send prophets. Why do you think it is that God doesn't speak directly? I think it has to do a lot with progressive revelation, too, when that was more common. Um, there wasn't as much recorded revelation for us. Um, and I, I do think when you think in New Testament terms of revelation, I, I think of the passage says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So that revelation has progressed to the point where everything I need to live my life right now to live it godly has been revealed to me. Does it mean that he's revealed everything? No, but what I need at this time has been revealed um, and I, I do think there's some human nature element of it where we would start to elevate those people who did get that revelation from God directly. Um, they'd get some sort of reverence and, and honor that maybe was undue to them. Just a few of the reasons that off yeah. the top of my head. Well, you know, as I think through it, um, it, it's easy to look back at the previous state of things and have nostalgia and say, oh, man, I wish it was like that now. And you often ignore what you have now that you didn't have then that you would have really liked, you know. So you look back to the 1950s and go, "Oh man, American culture was so great yeah. then. If only we had it then." And you're ignoring all the things, all the things that God has done since then uh, that we really wish we would have had back then had we been mm -hmm. living then. Yeah, and so, we think I believe that, but then we go back to a story we've talked about on the podcast. Zachariah got direct revelation. He was like, "Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. nope, yeah." <laughs> Exactly. And, well, and it, you look at Moses, you know, why we tend to think, well, if God spoke directly to me, I get it. I right. would listen. This is yeah. it. Yeah. Well, look at the people that God does speak to directly. You know, this Prager right. made a great point once I heard him on the radio. He's talking about this topic. He said, if you, if you don't believe God, if you don't believe there's a God at this point, anything you say, if he did this, I would believe him. You would also not believe like if mm -hmm. after all of this, you would then not believe him. There's, there's literally nothing he would do that you wouldn't also discount. That's Lazarus and the rich yeah, man. I was just thinking that same story. Yeah, hey, go send my brothers. No, they've got Moses and the prophets. If they're not going to listen, they're not going to believe it you that you come work. back from the dead. They'll find some other explanation and, for why you're coming back from the dead. And the funny thing is, yeah. the funny thing is, you look at that and you're like, no, if somebody named Lazarus came back from the dead, surely people would listen to him. And, and they then did. someone <laughs> named Lazarus comes back from the dead and they try to kill him because and, he's a testimony. And some people believe and some people don't. Mm -hmm. Exactly what was happening before. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, we think we, oh, we got to figure it out, God. If you just did this, it's a game changer. Yeah. Oh yeah, big surprise. <laughs> God, there's no spoilers for God. Like he gets it. He understands it all. Yeah. And I mean, working with teenagers here, well, why is the Bible the only way he talks to us now? It would be a lot easier. Right. And, and everybody yeah. back then was like, if only he'd give us the Bible. Yeah, if, only yeah. <laughs> if only it was written so that we had a, yeah. a regular standard that we could depend on. Yeah. And then you got Second Peter, who's, uh, you got Peter who's saying, hey, I was an eyewitness. I saw the transfiguration, but we have a more sure word of mm -hmm. prophecy. Exactly. And exactly. We don't realize what we have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can just imagine Moses going, man, if only this were written down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd have to keep telling everybody. <laughs> yeah. So we'll go well, ahead. He did write it down. Yeah, that's true. He did it. Yeah. That's right. So we're going to just kind of move through these next ones quickly as we wrap things up. God spoke through angels as well. We see that especially uh, a lot in the Old Testament. Angel, of course, means messenger. So these are the messengers uh, from God. God speaks through prophets who would, yes, predict the future, but they would also bring God's message to the people. And then finally, God speaks 
uh, spoke through his son, Jesus, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. And so, um, and then finally we see that God is still speaking today through scripture, and that's where we're going to be picking things up next week. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap that up here. Uh, Next week, we're going to be covering inspiration as we seek to answer the important question, how did God preserve his revelation for us throughout the ages? We hope to see you then. See ya. Bye-bye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.